Welcome to Bubble Trouble, conversations between the independent analyst, Richard Kramer, that's me, and the economist and author, Will Page, that's him. And this is what we do for you. Lay out the inconvenient truths about how business and financial markets really work. And this week, we dig into some of the hype around AI with the announcement from financial markets data provider, powerhouse Bloomberg, about Bloomberg GPT, a 50 billion parameter large language model purpose-built from scratch for finance. Is this the needle mover AI has been waiting for? We're bubbling up on the use cases, sentiment analysis, news story summaries, bespoke research. But for Bubble Trouble listeners, what does this mean for our pen pals, the sycophants and stenographers in that echo chamber of Wall Street? Will has some thoughts, and as someone who's practiced this craft for close to 30 (laughs) years, I'll have my own reactions. Back in a moment. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome back to Bubble Trouble. Will, why are you so excited about AI and ChatGPT and even coming to Bloomberg, that incredibly expensive data terminal with a user interface from CompuServe 1994 <laughs> that is is sort of the arcana and the messaging platform that the financial markets work off of? I mean, what do you know about this Bloomberg stuff and why do you care? Just to fact check and approve that statement there, I do believe the interface predates Tony Blair coming to the leadership of the Labour Party. So yeah, it does go back a bit. So I think we're onto a big topic here. And for our listeners, I think it's the one that we should pursue. I got some great guests in the field of AI and ChatGPT lined up for the future. But for me and you just to go toe for toe low for a minute here, this is where I get interested into it because we can debate till the cows come home the use cases for ChatGPT. Is it the big thing that people are saying or is it just going to sort of quibble out there in terms of it was a nice idea, but we go back to Google search, we go back to human curation. So I want to take you back to when Mark Thompson was the director general of the BBC and he gave this wonderful press conference. And I use this as an example when I'm teaching students economics where he realized there was layers and layers of duplication in BBC news journalism and he was going to make huge cuts So Mark Thompson, the Director General of the BBC, obviously a very important role for British society, is giving the press conference, and there was 14 BBC microphones at the press conference debating how could you say there's duplication, how can you justify these cuts. And it's the visualisation I want to sow in the seeds of our listeners here of one person has one story, and his own organisation has 14 microphones to receive that story. Now, when you take that downstream and you think 14 news departments writing up what has to be the same story, 
I think you have an echo chamber. So take that BBC example and flip it to your world, Richard. If Apple produced quarterly results, there's only one story. Do you really need, and I'm sure you would justify the case for this, but I'm asking you, do you really need all these analysts to write up what is essentially the same story? Or is there a role for ChatGPT to take some of that heavy lifting and automate it? So let me give you two concrete examples of what happens when a company like Apple, the largest market cap company in the world, reports. First of all, there is already technology to robo journalize, if that's the right phrase. <laughs> so Reuters will ingest those results, repeat some of the talking points from the headlines of the company, write a sentence about whether they beat or missed expectations and publish it in somewhere around five seconds. So when you think of those 14 mites at the BBC, some of them are trying to get the instant news, the hot take. Others are writing for a different sort of audience and trying to understand the long sweep, how we interpret these comments, how the government reaction might be to those comments as the as this funding source of the BBC, what it means broadly for public service broadcasting. So there are different audiences. Now, among all those 50 analysts that are covering Apple, some will take a very short-term view. And I call that examining the lichen on the bark, forget about missing the wood for the trees. Others will try to step back and say, well, let's look at the pattern over the last eight or 10 quarters or two, three, five years. Is this quarter unusual or does it just simply fit a pattern that we're very comfortable with? So whether it's the time scale people look at things on, whether it's the details they choose to pick out, whether they're applying AI for sentiment analysis to see if the CFO's voice wavered when he was answering a question or... The CEO had fewer of his famously praiseworthy terms, how wonderful, amazing, incredible, groundbreaking, et cetera, the products are. People are listening for different reasons, pulling different things out, and they communicate to different audiences. So I'm not sure those 14 mics will all go to one because I'm not sure it was the same story for each of those 14 journalists. They may have been looking at a different part of the feeling, like the blind man in the classic example, a different part of the elephant and feeling something completely different. Interesting. Interesting. So you're defending your industry. I didn't expect a turkey to vote for Christmas here. Let's stay at a high level here. Hey. Let's stay at a high level. Give me your take on ChatGBT. You've heard the hype. You're studying this area. What's your interpretation of how far we can lean into the wind of this new future? So when we think about the onset of AI tools like ChatGPT, I think AI is going to impact a huge range of areas. ChatGPT is just one sort of example. And the, the classic example that's been trotted out since Microsoft sort of, sort of had its attack on Google was about how it would impact search, something that we have trillions of a day. All of us spend loads of time, whether it's on maps or within Google itself or in websites searching for stuff. And I think search needs to be divided between what you would call flypaper and a trampoline. <laughs> and flypaper is something you land on and you stick. And the reality is that two thirds or more of search queries are what you would call zero or one click. What year was JFK assassinated? Well, the answer is 1963. What's the weather today? Well, it depends on where you are. Down in Spain, it might be 18 degrees and sunny. Who plays for number 10 at the Scottish rugby team? 
these are searches for which there is either one answer, a launching pad to get to the place you want to find your answer. Where can I buy Will Page's book, Pivot? Well, Amazon is probably paid to, for the search query to take you to them. So you have to distinguish between where we're looking for a simple answer, which is the majority of search queries, and where we're looking for a conversation. And it's where we're looking for a conversation or probing more and more. That's where something like ChatGPT really comes into its own. And I think the grand overarching statements that it's going to revolutionize search need to be contextualized by understanding that a lot of times you ask someone a question and you want to get an answer. What's today's special? You're not going to have a long disputation with how the chef sourced its ingredients. You just want to know, is the burger good? I love the flight plate per trampoline analogy. That's, that goes in, into your greatest hits on this podcast. But I do think you're missing a slight trick there, which is what's it going to do to search is one question. Mm. Will I need to search is another question. That is, can ChatGPT and these developments in AI reduce the need to go to Google in the first place. Can I just probe your thoughts in there? We can just set, separate the two components out, which is, yes, it can affect different types of search and not all searches worth the same. I get that. But what about the need to search? What if ChatGPT reduces the actual need to go to the Google landing page and search in the first place? You know, there will definitely be new modes of information gathering that'll come up. And if you go back eight or nine or 10 years, when we had the introduction of Apple Siri and Amazon Alexa, everybody thought the trend was going to be voice assistance. I know, Alexa turned and out Amazon to be bubble Alexa trouble. Would have, would have all these skills that they would develop and you'd be able to do a little bit more than ask what was the distance to the moon or set a timer or... Uh, or play a bit of music as long as you didn't want to play it from Spotify yeah. because Spotify and Amazon decided not to get along together. So you have frequent technologies that spring up that threaten to change the way we behave. But the reality is human behavior changes very slowly. And a lot of people aren't necessarily comfortable speaking to a device, which they may be concerned as listening to them all the time. Now, will clever students very quickly figure out that ChatGPT can write their term paper for them? Absolutely. They're doing it already. Will universities employ software that tries to figure out whether the students actually got the term paper written for them by ChatGPT or wrote it themselves? Absolutely. They'll be doing that as well. So it's this cat and mouse game in terms of introducing new technologies. But again, the human behavior is slow to change. Google is a verb for your kids and my kids' generation. And they will certainly embrace new ways of finding information where they need to. But yeah, I think it's going to be a very slow evolution. It's not going to change with a snap of a finger overnight. I hear it. I hear it. And that Alexa thing, that's a real bubble trouble episode. And so in the way that Amazon seems to be kind of cashing their chips and taking a loss in that bet. And I remember going to an AI conference talking about the advancements in Alexa and how accurate it was at predicting the weather. And I raised my hand and said, what if I just looked out the window? Would I have a better bet? And the AI scientists hadn't actually considered the probability of looking out the window to assess the weather yourself in their experiment. Nevertheless, what I wanted to do now is just come back to the kind of core premise of this podcast. Is there a role for ChatGPT in the echo chamber of understanding financial results? Bloomberg clearly thinks there is. 
I want to get your take on that in a second. But if I can just put forward a framework for this discussion, which is how can you frame the current state of machine learning, of AI and chat GBT? And I see it as depth, not breadth. For narrow ideas, for narrow queries, we have a use case. For broad general search, perhaps we're going to have to wait a couple of years. But the way I see it is a two-by-two metrics in terms of can you see the errors or can you not see the errors in the response you've been given and cross that with does the error rate, or error rate matter lots? Does the error rate matter less? So just to repeat, are the errors visible or not? And do the errors matter or not? Now, just to throw that two-by-two two matrix at you, Richard, any thoughts in terms of that as a way of applying this to our conversation? Well, I'm, I'm taken back to something that happened probably, I want to think, maybe a decade ago, where there was one of these flash crashes on NASDAQ. And all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, a stock which is incredibly famously stable, like Accenture, a 700,000 person, I think, a consulting business, Jeez. famously uh, sort of knocks out its results within tiny fractions of where the expectations were, because they have a very predictable business, because they pretty much know with consulting engagements, how much work they've got every quarter, and so therefore can predict it very well. But in that flash crash, all of a sudden, Accenture fell sort of 40% in a matter of minutes. Now, at that point, human beings, portfolio managers and analysts would look at the stock and say, well, what the heck is going on? And very quickly deduce that there hadn't been a news announcement from the company. It wasn't like all the shareholders chose to sell at exactly the same time. And maybe there was something going on with a bug in one of the, the program trades that were going on where the results or the share price was quoted immediately at a tiny fraction or 40% below where it normally trades. And so, yes, someone could see the errors. And in that case, the error rate mattered a lot. And what happened is the stock quickly recovered. And of course, most of the people actually holding shares didn't rush to sell in a panic because they thought something was going wrong. Now, would AI have helped there? have helped uncover the cause of this flash crash, possibly. But the human judgment required and in, in sort of taking the pause and waiting to see what was going on might be just as valuable. And how to capture the value of that human judgment within AI is going to be the real challenge because we do have brains that process at about two to the 30th. And while AI can, as you say, very quickly very narrow sets of information, it doesn't have the ability to contextualize and think very broadly yet. That sort of artificial general intelligence, and that seems to be a long way off. Where I think AI and programs like ChatGPT will have the greatest impact will be automating the sort of dull scut work that the markets have to go through. For example, entering all the figures on the balance in the model. That can be done, that can be filled in instantaneously with AI. Now, as an analyst, I will tell you that looking at those numbers, eyeballing them, comparing them to what was going on last quarter or a year ago, looking for minute changes, that's something that takes human judgment. That's something I don't want AI to do because I find it valuable to do it myself and to feel like I know what's going in the numbers. I just don't have them auto-filled in my model. A lot of other people will feel differently and will feel like, well, they get a speed advantage by filling them the model and then they can look at them later if they deem it necessary. But I think it's going to be a situation where I would flip your matrix and say, are you looking 
to spot the errors. Interesting. Because you decided that the error rate matters a lot. Or you don't <laughs> really mind if there's a lot of errors because you don't think it matters at all. So <laughs> if there's minute changes on the balance sheet of a company, well, you know what? Who cares? I don't need to ask questions about that. That doesn't really matter because there's a bigger picture that I'm looking at in the company's earnings that doesn't have anything to do with the balance sheet. <laughs> Are you looking for the errors? It reminds me as a first-time author of, did you employ a fact-checker? And if you didn't, why? Because <laughs> you didn't care about the errors? I certainly did, so I employed a fact-checker. So yeah, I hear it, I hear it. Let's just, before we get to the break, a few more examples of where I think this can dive in and you tell me whether I need to dive out or not. I mean, firstly, the editorial issues that goes with these analyst notes, that goes with that Bloomberg 1994 interface. Surely we could be seeing something akin to a Spotify playlist here and that ChatGPT could tag and link these notes together, which is I'm interested in a bunch of things. I don't want to read a bunch of independent PDF files. I want you to grab the key synthesis from each and piece it together and beads on a string, which is what a playlist is. Secondly, what about enriching the notes, illuminating the links, a lot of the clutter that's in those notes using ChatGPT? I got to get this in a tweet-linked sentence, not a 95-page report. And thirdly, what about using Copilot-like experience here where you can resurface previous information from past notes. I mean, I'm just thinking about enriching the analyst notes experience for one one primary reason, which is I always remember meeting the chief operating officer of a large bank, very large bank, who said to me he spent $110 million a year on research and 97% went unread. Surely by enriching these notes experiences, more of what gets produced gets read at less cost. Yeah, and one of the big questions will be, do you have access to the data sets? So the quality of the answers you get from any AI program will depend on the quality of the data that's being used to feed into it. Mm -hmm. So if you have access to all of one specific large investment bank's research, you can tag all of the things that they're saying and or got wrong. You can say, can I please look at all the recommendations that haven't worked as opposed to the ones that have? And try to understand why it is that they rate 90% of the stocks buys when half the stocks in the market underperform. But to really understand the entire conversation of the market, who was most accurate, who saw issues a year or six months ahead of them coming to the fore, you'd really need access to all the 50 analysts' work covering the companies, and that may not be available to you. And you really need to be able to put all of that data into a machine-readable, similarly usable format. So if there's a small independent analyst that you're not subscribed to, well, maybe they have the best information or have some of the best insights, like I'd say our firm does, but they may not be as readily available if you're not subscribing to their work, like you're being given the conflicted investment bank reports for free. So I hear it. Last question before the break, just extend that out a little bit, which is, where I think we're on different sides of the street in this conversation is back to that point about search. You give a very eloquent understanding of what this could do to search. My question abstracts the situation, says, will you need to use that Google search page? Similar here in terms of what they can do for analyst notes, my question is, but most of those analyst notes are going unread. So you could put on the shelf the most perfect piece of equity analyst in your career, but if no one's picking it off the shelf to read and act on it, sure, that's my issue. So Last question is, if you take my world of media and entertainment and your world of finance and how we have algorithmic playlists and playlists dedicated just for you, do you see a role for ChatGPT, which means I don't have to visit the Goldman Sachs note and I don't have to visit the HSBC note and I don't have to visit the Credit Suisse note, if Credit Suisse is still there, that is. I just get my notes 
everything is bespoke just for my personal tastes. I kind of discover weekly of analyst notes. Do you think that's what Bloomberg are busy cooking in their kitchen? Look, Bloomberg has its own analysts and wants to surface its own news stories and its own analysis of things and may have a conflict of interest in surfacing that information versus the banks. And the banks all, of course, publish that research as advertisement for their financial services. They want to sell companies. So everybody's got their own axe to grind and everybody has the same problem of making their work visible to fund managers, which are bombarded with choices of analysis. And they have to choose whether they try to go with unconflicted work from independent researched firms or look at the bank's work because they feel the banks are very close to the companies because mm -hmm. they might be working with them on financing deals or work with Bloomberg because they are very familiar with the user interface and they're logged into it every day. So there's lots of reasons. I would throw it back to you and ask, do you believe that AI has been able to assemble a better playlist or a better mix than the Will Page mix on Mixcloud, which has got 37,000 listens? <laughs> do you think AI can understand all the different types of genres of music you want to you wanna reflect in your own interest in music? and assemble them better than Giles Peterson or some DJ that you've listened to and respected for 30 years. I think that there's a, still a big gap there. And tell me, how do you think it's going to work in the, in, in the music industry with playlists? Let me close out part one with the way I answer that question to music, but apply it to finance as we meet each other in the middle of the road. And the way I always describe the role of the algorithm or AI and curation compared to that of the human playlist creator or the human DJ even, is that in a world where you have so much information, let's call it financial information, the algorithm grabs the seeds in a hand that no hand could grab, far bigger hand, and throws those seeds much further than no human could throw them. And then the human can observe which of those seeds take root. I think that's a really nice way of comparing the role of machine learning versus human instinct of just, we are dealing with a quantity of information, a supply of information that we've never dealt with before. Managing it needs a balance of both. It takes two to tango. You need the machine learning to throw the seeds out. I need the human to realize why they're taking root or why they're not taking root. What are the causes and consequences of that? We'll come back in part two and get into the subject further. I sense some compromise in our positions here. Let's see if ChatGPT can write up the transcripts notes for part two. Back in a moment. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Thank you. 
we're back with part two of Bubble Trouble, where Will Page and I are debating the impact of AI and programs like ChatGPT on the worlds of finance and music and entertainment. And I want to throw Will down the rabbit hole for a moment and ask him to elaborate a little bit more on how ChatGPT might impact his beloved industry of music. How long is it going to be until ChatGPT writes a top 10 hit, Will? How long is it going to be till AI musicians take over from the real thing and play that funky horn section like you never imagined a human being could? What do you think? <laughs> well, firstly, shout out to the pioneer in this field, which is a chap called Ed Newton Rex, his website by the same name, his TED lecture, a must watch for our listeners. And he's going to be coming on the show in a couple of weeks. So we have the expert, the global expert on this topic to handle that question. But I am reminded of two things, one on fraud and two of the role of drum machines. Let me just break them down firstly. In the 1960s, there was a famous record label exec who signed an artist called Jimi Hendrix when he was here in the UK. Jimi Hendrix, by the way, came to Britain to find his rhythm section. And in the back of his wall, he said, once we get computers to replace the role of drummers, then we're going to have a music industry. And that was 1966. It's quite an interesting claim. Then came the drum machine. We still have drummers, but we have a lot of music which is produced using drum machines. Now, that took a good few decades to get us there. How many years or months will it take to get us to the point where the other instruments can be created by machines as well? I think that's just an interesting way of just putting the revolutionary aspect of AI, the kind of knee-jerk reaction to it, into context. So let's see where the computer takes us. Where I think we do have a huge issue just now is with stream fraud. And just to recap in our industry, and I want to make it not specific to music, but to many other industries, there's a big pot of cash that needs to be allocated every month from streaming services. And if you can dictate where that streaming activity goes through illegitimate means such as fraud, you can grab a bigger share of that big pot of cash. Now, there's three types of fraud. There's click farms, hundreds, thousands of people dedicated to streaming music, often in countries like Indonesia and the Philippines. There's account hacking, which is when I hack the account of Richard Kramer, which is dormant and deliberately dictate the streaming activity of his monthly fee to music that I get compensated for. But the third one is the interesting one, which is carbon copies. If Lana Del Rey's new album, which is fantastic, gets out there, but a leak happens or somebody gets access to those files before it gets out there and can create a carbon copy of those songs, and the algorithm doesn't recognize that this one is from a human being with a pulse and this one is a carbon copy generated by AI, then the playlist editions and the streaming activity can go in the direction of the carbon copies. I think this carbon copy language, getting again out of my niche area of music, which I've got to do for your audience here, is really important because you can apply that carbon copy aspect to even your industry in terms of actually who wrote that analyst note, who is the source. I guess we're actually leaning to the language of deep fakes here, Richard. Well, I, when I think about that perversion, if you will, of the revenue stream between the listener and the artist, mm -hmm. you've just given me three clear way that money that should flow to the Ed Sheerans or the Harry Styles of the world, the people that have, you know, the Lana Del Rey's that, or the Billie Eilish's that have created these iconic new expressions of music, the modern expressions, that some of what they're doing is being siphoned off by nefarious actors. And shouldn't AI have a big role in stopping that? Oh, so you're thinking. <laughs> Why can't a company like Spotify that has 
proudly and launched its own AI DJ, why can't it unleash AI on the 100,000 tracks that get uploaded every, what is it, every week? Every day. Every day, separate the weed from the chaff and find all of those carbon copies because they don't have the blockchain signature, the large record label that these artists are signed to, and just knock them off the system. Aren't they, aren't they getting any better at playing whack-a-mole and getting rid of these diversions of money in an illegitimate way away from these artists that we cherish. It's a commendable point. And I, I'm going to use the terms poacher and gamekeeper here because what you've inspired in my head, at least, is why is it that this illegal application of these technologies, which always seems to move first? So we know we have a problem in our industry of carbon copies getting onto our platform and scraping away streams and dollars that shouldn't really belong to them. But your point is, well, why can't AI become the gatekeeper and reduce this type of activity? And that's interesting. And it reminds me of somebody who's hopefully going to be on our show next week, Lucky. The, his name is, by the way, Lucky. Good luck on that. But his company, Miso AI, and he was saying to me that the application of AI in something like journalism, which is not that dissimilar from the person writing the analyst note, it does feel like a bit of a Napster moment here, which is it the medium or the message? I want Richard Kramer's take on this company or this financial development. Or do I like Richard Kramer's take, but I don't care who wrote it? Is it the medium or the message? And I think that's where, similarly, you need a, not regulation, I don't think that's the right word, but you just really need to think through the causes and consequences of having this technology enter a market where there's human curation at stake, be it you writing up an analyst note or me writing up a song. Well, if you look at, $800 billion digital ad industry. There's an enormous amount of ad fraud out there. There are sites called made for advertising sites, which are created just churn numbers of impressions, and they will be mixed in with the billions of impressions that get bought legitimately on, on the largest sites in the world, whether it's be any of the meta Facebook properties or Google or any of the large publishers. And yet, because of this quality of data issue, we haven't been able to develop AI programs that say, well, hang on a second, you shouldn't pay for those ads on those sites because no one's actually watching them. No one's actually seeing them. Those are sites entirely generated to, entirely devoted to generating impressions, not to attracting audiences. And the amount of ad fraud should be large enough since it's in the billions to motivate people to use those sort of AI programs, but it's hard work. And there is always something I call FOFO, fear of finding out. No chief marketing officer wants to find out that when they went to their agency and spent millions and millions of dollars on advertising, that a big chunk of it ended up running on these bogus sites that no one watched. Right. So in the same way that for a Spotify, it might be extremely embarrassing to discover that when Lana Del Rey drops her new album, that some clever fraudsters already cloned it. And half the time that when people are searching for Lana Del Rey, but they mistakenly forget to type a space between Del and Ray, then there's a Lana Del Rey that points you to an entirely different artist's work, if you want to call it that, which is a carbon copy clone of Lana Del Rey's songs but paying royalties to somebody other than Lana. Yeah. And I think that why isn't AI being developed to 
help the good guys as opposed to enable the bad guys. So this is great. So let's drop another two by two matrix here. You're inspiring some ideas in my head here. So you could literally have a situation where in a market, are there efficiencies which AI can enhance or inefficiencies that AI can solve? And on the other side of this two by two matrix, are the incentives to do good outweighed by the disincentives to be exposed, how bad things originally were. So it's, is AI the poacher or is AI the gatekeeper? And a lot of it is going to depend on, like you say, that chief marketing officer. The first thing a chief marketing officer has to do every financial year is retain their budget to do marketing. It's not to spend money better, it's to ensure they have money to spend. And is there a mm. disincentive to say, gee, there was all this dead wood and I can actually do a far better job with one third of the budget I actually had? Can you just park this AI sandbox experiment in the company to the curb, please? I don't want to know the answers. I don't want to know about the efficiencies it could bring. Well, it has always been the case in technology, as I've observed it for the past 30 plus years, that the leading edge technologies are universally deployed by the fraudsters and criminals. All media, whether it's been toolbars, if you remember those toolbars in AOL, how many of them were turned out to be back browser intercept schemes and malvertising schemes, mobile games and mobile advertising and all the utility apps that would fire off 50 ad calls in the background when they were supposed to be cleaning out the memory of your phone. The fraudsters have always been on the bleeding edge of figuring out how to stay one step ahead of legitimate companies and siphon off a portion of the spend. And whether it's pirated video or pirated music, you name it. There have always been efforts to, whether out of anarcho-syndicalism or sheer larceny, to break the grip of DRM and the music labels, <laughs> as you know very well. <laughs> So it's funny because it comes down to incentives. The incentive for someone effectively trying to steal money is so much greater than that incentive of someone trying to prevent a small amount of their money being stolen. I hear it. And it, it, maybe you should say Adam Smith, who I'd love to say is a friend of the show, but he's long gone. But he often talked about is what is a smuggler. He's Scottish. <laughs> he's Scottish. So he must be a friend of the show. <laughs> but you talked about smugglers. A smuggler is an entrepreneur or are they committing an illegal act? Is a smuggler capturing a market where a market previously didn't exist? And I always remember that Adam Smith came from Kirkcaldy, not far from a town called Recife. And when Scotland had its first ferry from Recife to go to mainland Europe, I think it was Zeebrugge in Belgium. The primary use of that ferry was not people going on holiday, it was people bringing back cheap alcohol and cigarettes back to the Scottish mainland. Doing exactly Nothing's what changed in 200 years. Doing exactly what Adam Smith had predicted from his hometown. Irony, come on in. So look, let's get back to your smoke signals. The things when you hear all of this incredible hype that we've had about AI in the past three to four months, since OpenAI came out with ChatGPT, since Microsoft embraced it, since it became a talking point on the lips of politicians and ordinary people, not just tech nerds. I want to hear what are the couple of things that really are making you go, uh -uh. oh, we need to be a little bit, pump the brakes here a little bit. Well, completely unscripted and thinking live on the hoof here. I mean, you've given me a lot of food for thought in this conversation. My appreciation for that and sure from our audience too. But I think one thing which has come into mind here is the cottage industry of the consultant culture, which is I'm sure every firm is hiring independent consultants just now to, to ask questions and answer them in terms of how this technology is going to work. 
And there is an incentive in the consultant cottage industry to give as big an answer, as bloated an answer as practically possible. So I am worried that firms might overpromise and overspend on this technology based on independent advice, which was incentivized to produce that result anyway. So mm -hmm. let me just throw that one out. Do you, you know how big this industry is going to be in terms of advising firms which haven't got a clue which way to look, which way they should be looking. Do you see that as a problem? Well, I see the one in immediate practical application of AI being replacing the sort of scut work, if you will, at the low end of most firms, whether it's Indian IT outsourcing firms that are maintaining software packages and Scottish insurance companies that were written 20 or 30 years ago with a bunch of lousy old style code. Well, you can teach an AI program how to code mm -hmm. in Fortran or COBOL or one of these old and let it do the code maintenance as opposed to having a team of people in India do that. It could be the low level auditors checking invoices at Deloitte or KPMG that there are literally hundreds of thousands of people doing this very boring scut work. And I know people who have taken jobs as, as training consultants in AI for law firms where, you know, rather than rewrite every commercial real estate contract from scratch, they'll have a repository of every contract that the company has ever written up. And they can use that to do the low level drafting that you'd be paying a junior lawyer or a paralegal to do. So it's going to start replacing tasks from the bottom, the simplest tasks first, and that kind of scut work that someone's got to do as maintenance or sort of very base level operational jobs in firms. That's what's going to get replaced first, not least because the conflict of interest in senior management don't want to replace their own roles yeah. as CEOs or CFOs. Did I say something away. about turkeys voting for Christmas in part one of this podcast? Yeah, just building that point out. So they, we look at the GitHub co-pilot controversy. There was copyright lawyers wading into that debate at the early stages. Oh, yeah. But, you know, back to that visualization almost of disruption, of digital disruption of AI being like a rising tide that's at your ankles. Is it going to come up further or is it going to settle at your ankles? What I'm hearing now from engineers back in the valley is proving enormously successful. I've got some engineers saying on record that they're twice, three times as productive writing code thanks to GitHub Copilot. So mm. from a threat to an opportunity, in comes this technology. Is it going to displace the role of engineers or is it going to make them even more productive? Is it going to force engineers to raise their game when coding versus what they were doing previously? I think that's an interesting application too. And maybe just to mm. round out smoke signal number one, we have language of deep fakes, which has got kind of begins with D, so does the word dark. It's a bit of a scary terminology. I think what's going to be interesting is when we get the application of AI that gets it right when the humans all got it wrong. I think that's going to happen. The laws of probability suggest it will happen. It doesn't mean humans are now surplus to requirements. It had nothing to do with that. It's just I'd be mm. really interested in the knee-jerk reaction to learning that this AI machine picks stocks better than Richard Kramer or this AI machine wrote better music than Will Page, or whatever the application, wrote better code than a coder. I think we are going to get a headline, and you know how hungry for headlines journalists are, where ChatGPT got it right and the humans got it wrong. And my worry mm. in the smoke signal from the heart here, Richard, is we all jump on that bandwagon. What was that famous label exec quote? What's the most important form of transportation in America? The bandwagon, because everybody wants to get onto it. I worry about the bandwagon reaction when we have that one outlier example of AI getting it right and humans getting it wrong. What's your smoke signal? Yeah. Well, I, if there's one thing I'm concerned about, it's 
we've already discovered that AI is prone to hallucinations. Yeah. There was a very interesting article at the end of last week about Washington Post and all their leading publications, journalists saying, well, hang on a second. We asked AI about certain topics and it cited all Washington Post articles that didn't exist. They just made them up, which is a tried and tested method for students for years and years. Instead of citing sources, it's always easier just to make stuff up and stick it in and see if no one notices. But I'm, I'm innocent of the charge. Denial, denial, denial. Th there is a risk that AI hallucinations are accepted as reality before they become debunked as hallucinations. We know AI will and can make stuff up and make it sound incredibly plausible. And we know that stuff that sounds plausible in a world full of rank conspiracy theories, left, right, and center, that those sort of hallucinations can become accepted as fact. And my smoke signal or concern is that we'll need another rather thick layer of due diligence, which we've seen time and again is lacking. I was reading something this morning in the Financial Times about how JP Morgan's many deals are being examined because they bought one company that was supposed to have 4.65 million users for their product and turned out to have 300,000. We'll need another layer of due diligence to cut through the noise and to debunk these hallucinations as they're being injected into the bloodstream of our human communications constantly. And it's the ability to spin out the deep fakes so quickly, yeah. to spin out these plausible but factually incorrect stories so quickly checks out. because obviously an AI can write dozens of stories in the time a journalist is just starting to sharpen up their pencil and put pen to paper. So back to your poacher gamekeeper example from earlier, when I speak to people in the credit card industry hmm. discussing financial fraud, they always try and optimize the time it takes to detect. You know, if you're declaring yeah. war on fraud, you know, there's a war going on and the forces are winning it. No. Focus on the time it takes to detect. If you can optimize for that, then all the other problems you need to solve in financial fraud become easier. And I guess what you're saying there is, if AI can be used as a force for good in reducing the time it takes to detect deep fakes, conspiracy theories, misrepresentation, or just outright lies, then we've got a solid application to move forward with. Well, we do, but then you have to ask the question, are people willing dupes? I mean, you have enormous percentages of the U.S. population that believe in UFOs or believe in these crazy conspiracy theories. And do people want to be convinced by actual facts? Do they want to live in a world governed by actual facts? We're not entirely sure about that just yet. We'd like to think it's the case, but we can't say with certainty. So it's who's going to want to apply those AI tools to actually get to the truth of the matter, or who is going to be happily duped in nanoseconds by an AI story that sounds so outrageous that couldn't possibly be true, but maybe it is. Is that a third head I see growing behind your will? <laughs> behind the second head? Doesn't all Scottish people have at least three three brains? <laughs> no, know, so whatever not story it's going to be. My university exam marks, definitely not. But yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely there. And as we close out this week's episode of Bubbles Trouble, it's worth acknowledging that the number one show on Netflix just now is about UFOs, unacknowledged. <laughs> Right. And we all are prone to the incredible and outrageous that underlies those conspiracy theories because we want to feel like we're slightly cleverer than the average Joe in having un unpacked all that stuff. And the ability of AI to accelerate that sort of divergence from reality 
is going to be something we're going to need a lot of due diligence to protect against. And before you close out the show, we should just announce that next week, myself and yourself are on vocation, so there'll be computers interpreting our voice doing our show for us. Is that correct? Oh dear, it'll be a much better show. With that, it's been a really interesting discussion. We're just sort of scratching the surface and getting warmed up for a long series of guests to talk about how AI might or might not impact society. We did that before with the metaverse, crypto, and a few other topics. And this one, I think, will run and run. So with that, I'd like to thank my co-host, Will Page. I'm Richard Kramer. And thanks again for listening to Bubble Trouble. If you are new to Bubble Trouble, we hope you'll follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share it on your socials. Bubble Trouble is produced by Eric Newsom, Jesse Baker, and Julia Nett at Magnificent Noise. You can learn more at bubbletroublepodcast.com. Until next time, from my co-host Richard Kramer, I'm Will Page. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.